Hi, this is Braden Coetz, and this is the Progression Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to the 11th episode of the Progression Podcast. Today I'm talking to Braden Cowitz, who is uh, an American designer uh, and now founder of Range. He started the product design function at Google Ventures, uh, having worked on things like Gmail and uh, all sorts of other Google products at the very start that now all of us kind of take for granted. Uh, he, he designed the first versions of those. At Google Ventures, he was on the team with uh, Jake Knapp that wrote the sprint book so if you have a sprint book somewhere in your office or home then his name is on the cover as part of that worked with all sorts of interesting startups who are now household names slack gimlet media things like that um, and experienced their design sprint process firsthand so uh, he really knows his stuff when it comes to working with early stage startups which is great because then he went off and started his own um, so he's been a, an engineer, a designer, now he's a founder. Uh, as you can tell, this reflects the journey that I'm on in some way. So maybe you've just got a window into a therapy session for me. Uh, we talk about a whole bunch of stuff from his background at Google Ventures, when you need to introduce a rigid design ladder and the benefits and constraints involved in that, this need that people seem to have to couple uh, project leadership and coaching uh, in terms of a, a managerial relationship. Uh, we talk about his time with GV and the sprint book, the, that fork in the road around going into management versus staying as a designer versus going off and doing something different like becoming a founder or going into product. Well worth a listen. This episode is brought to you by Onfido. Onfido are a London-based startup that helps companies onboard customers quickly and securely using AI to compare ID documents to facial biometrics. If you've ever taken a short video of yourself when signing up to a financial service or online marketplace, you may have used their product already. Onfido are always on the lookout for talented designers to join the team and are currently looking for a VP of design to help manage and scale the brand and product design teams as the business continues to grow. Check out onfido.com jobs, that's O-N-F-I-D-O dot jobs for more information. They're a fantastic team. Uh, I know the the folks at Onfido very well. They were an early customer of mine and I, it would be a, a great outfit to join. So just kind of on a personal level, uh, it'd be awesome to see you on the other end of these headphones going for that and, and getting that job. Okay, so that's it from me. Enjoy the show. Brayden, it's great to have you on the podcast I would introduce you, and, I, and I've spent the last um, 40 minutes listening to your dulcet tones on various GV <laughs> uh, videos. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I've been drinking the Kool-Aid, but I think it, it would be best if you introduce yourself. Um, a kind of a potted history of your career uh, and, and life um, to date, you know, through Google and Google Ventures and, and now what you're up to. Sure, yeah. Um... Currently, I'm a co-founder at Range, where we make software that helps teams work better together and, and helps companies scale. Before this startup, I was at Google Ventures, where I founded the design team there. Uh, we did a bunch of fun stuff from helping all sorts of startups of different kinds to uh, coming up with the design sprint process and popularizing that with a bunch of articles and a book. Before that, I was a designer at Google, and I, I happened to be there at this sort of Cambrian explosion of all of these new Google products 
And uh, being there, I got a chance to design some of the first versions of uh, a lot of the products that are still around today. Um, before that, I studied human-computer interaction and computer science and things like that, which uh, gave me the in to work at Google in those early days where they were really looking for technical people. So I learned a lot of what I learned of, uh, about design from working at Google with, with great people there. I mean, there's a whole bunch of stuff I think that is interesting uh, about both what you've been doing previously, uh, the number of teams that you've worked with that are household names, uh, even in the UK, um, as as part of the the Google Ventures team uh, and running Google Design Sprints and 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 being part of that crazy success story uh, that has introduced design thinking or design methodology to so many new people. Um, I'm really interested in talking to you about that. Yeah. So we'll, we'll touch on that. Um, but then uh, turning from a designer into a founder um, and going from the comfortable embrace of a big global conglomerate to uh, <laughs> something that is very new and very unknown. Um, on a personal level, I'm really interested in talking to you about that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, maybe somewhat cathartic for you and also uh, interesting for me and hopefully interesting for people listening as well. But let's start at the beginning or the relative beginning uh, with your journey at Google. Uh, and specifically, I think I'm interested in uh, life as a designer at Google, how Google thinks about design, you know, very famously an engineering-led company, but but how is design supported as part of that? How does Google... Um, systemize career development as well. Um, there's some some stories that uh, are, I've heard second or third hand around um, applying for promotions and and uh, going through this this process of kind of being uh, of a board that will approve uh, a career change. Or uh, in your own words, because I'm probably getting it completely wrong, I would love to know what the kind of methodology was and whether you felt like it worked and what you'd change about that. Yeah. I mean, so I can't speak for Google for a number of reasons. I don't, I don't currently work there. Um, but also when I was at Google Ventures, that, um, that really wasn't Google. And I was, I was there for about seven years. So during that time, um, uh, there wasn't really much of a like performance program, <laughs> performance management there. There were no levels. There were no ladders. Um, uh, because we were hiring people that were relatively senior and because it was such a small team and one of Alphabet's first external ventures outside of Google. So for all those reasons, it it, it was so small that it didn't need uh, uh, much of a, a set process there. So I've been operating sort of, and then currently in my current role, I'm I'm a founder, and so we give each other feedback, and that's a that's a hugely important part of being on a team. But also there is not a uh, very uh, rigorous and clear you know career trajectory here. So I've been operating outside of a like leveling system for probably the better part of a decade. Uh, and actually, you know, so this is, this is just a fascinating question. Like what, what parts of performance management do good and what parts of performance management get in people's way? Because one of the, one of the things I really enjoyed from being outside of that system was that when you, when you have a very specific career ladder and very specific dimensions of career growth, that's beneficial in some ways because you really understand how you're being evaluated and it takes some of the biases hopefully it takes some of the biases out of how leadership and management and people around you rate your skills the downside of that though is that it can feel very limiting from 
um, a personal growth perspective. So let's say I'm on the design ladder and I'm just really fascinated by learning more about React. Well, what if React and you know front-end development isn't on the design ladder? It could be good for the company and it could be good for me. And in, you know, and that intersection between what I'm interested in and what's good for the company should be just like where people should focus, right? It, it should be the place that um, we hope that all of our performance management tries to attract people to. But because there's all these intersections between skills that end up being really valuable in the company and there's all these big specializations and it, it can get in the way in, in some cases. So the that I think that's the double-edged sword from a lot of the performance management stuff. The more we try to add detail to it, sometimes the more it can feel restricting to people. Yeah, I think that's interesting. I mean, if you imagine a Venn diagram of what's valuable for the company and what's valuable or what's interesting to me right now, that that equation on its own may be a fairly easy one to answer in, in the sense that... Uh, you, if I'm interested in front-end development and the company needs more of that, why wouldn't I just go and do exactly. that? I mean, that, yeah. that's a no-brainer. I think the third circle in that Venn diagram that confuses, potentially confuses the whole thing is, given that's what I want to do and that's what the company wants me to do, what does that mean for me in the future for the rest of my career? And what does what do the optics of that look like? And um, are there other companies that would also value that? And does this mean I have to change away from something that has been a part of my personality or my identity for for so long and all of these other things that are kind of built up and and, and um i have my network in this area and maybe um, that won't be so valuable over there and and all of these other things start to come in and make you question uh, or or see risk in that decision when actually you're right like if you were just taking this kind of pure decision based on return on investment for you and, or enjoyment for you and, and job satisfaction, which at the end of the day should be the most important thing um, and return on investment for the company, then why wouldn't you just go and t- just say to the company, look, I have these interests. I have these skills. Use me however you want. Uh, as long as, as long as I'm enjoying it, I'm happy. And, and the other benefit I think you get from that is that as companies get bigger and as there's more specialization in different roles, um, what you find is is the companies lament the fact that these different roles don't feel like they understand each other. So why aren't the engineers feeling like they understand the designers? Why aren't the designers feeling like they understand the engineers? Why does no one understand anyone in finance? Like, that goes on and on, right? And, and part of the reason why um, I think that happens is because uh, of the very narrow role descriptions we have. Oddly enough, like the bigger you get in a company, the more desire you have for crossover roles, people that can bridge the gap between those two departments. But also the performance management system can discourage those people from working in those places. So when you'll find people that are working at an intersection between different roles, like we have we have someone here at Range that's just phenomenally good at design, product management, and engineering. Um, but doesn't this person doesn't feel like they always fit in a very large company because you have to choose one of those three. But yet at a small company, it's really valuable to have someone working across all those disciplines because you you remove you remove the need for communication between all of those roles. Absolutely. Uh, this kind of generalist to specialist. And, and there are other skills wrapped up in that, in what you describe, you know, so being entrepreneurial or being having a, a major bias to action becomes 
a real liability later on. You know, there's this this concept of the the pioneer and the settler and the uh, town planner. Uh, and if you have if you have pioneer designers or pioneer anyone, and you try and put them into a great big company that really just needs town planners, then they're going to cause chaos and start trying to build other towns on top of the town and <laughs> or whatever the, to torture the analogy completely. Yeah, no, we actually we um, categorize most of our channels of work or our projects based on those types of categories, and it's actually really helpful because some people will will naturally draw to different projects. And it also sets the expectations for what what success looks like in that project. If you're pioneering, failure is 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 much more acceptable than when you're when you're doing town planning within range. Which to for the audience, uh, range is um, how how big is the team at range? We're eight people right now. Right. So a, a small team, uh, two pizza team, as Bezos would probably say. Uh, you're able to have. Uh, Kind of autonomy in these these conversations across the table, which which allow you to move people around fairly easily, and everyone knows everyone very well. That there isn't this kind of layer of bureaucracy sitting between people. But I wonder if that scales. I wonder if a bigger team with uh, I don't know three hundred engineers and fifty designers would be able to have that conversation around a project and say, look, this kind of project or this scope of work is needs pioneers. So we're just going to move people from that project over to this one. What I've seen happen or what I've heard happen and seen happen is um, there's this perception of risk that moving people in moving people, you lose that domain expertise. So if someone has been working on a particular product and then that product moves from the early nebulous stages where nothing's defined and you need to move fast and test lots of things, kind of a, a growth mindset. And then that moves into business as usual. Those people should stay on that project because they know about that tech. Whereas actually maybe that's completely wrong and you should move those pioneers onto the new shiny again. I mean, the other, the other factor is, is it more sexy to be a pioneer? And, and actually if you tell someone they're a town planner, is that not, does that mean that they would rather go and try and be a pioneer somewhere else, even if that's not what they love to do? Yeah. I mean, it's always a, it's always an interesting balance, right? How much you can constrain what people might want to work on. My general philosophy is that, you know, finding a job at another company is, is relatively easy. And then it only takes two weeks to transfer. (laughs) You just give your two week notice and go. So if you're making it harder than that to move between different roles and different projects at your company, probably not a good a good thing for retention early on in google it was one of the most the biggest gift that, that company has given me that i was able to move from project to project um, in ways that helped me grow as an individual I, I literally remember having a conversation with my manager saying hey i want to go work on this project i think it'll help me grow and i think it's good for the company and she said great go like <laughs> she was managing, I think, like 30 or 40 people. So she probably didn't yeah. have much time for me. But, um, you know, you could imagine the opposite there. Like, no, you you can't. You're you're assigned to this project. Um, yeah. And yeah. and I don't know how, how long I would have lasted there in a place where I didn't feel like I could grow as much. I think it's interesting when you have when you're a line manager and the person leading the area in which you work are the same are the same person, because then there's a real barrier to switching away from that team uh, because the implication is you would probably have to change your line management as well. And, and um, then there's a huge amount 
of overhead to that unnecessary overhead whereas if you don't build the requirement that um, someone has to be directly managed by someone in the same team as them then actually you can have that autonomy yeah i think it's a it's a very fascinating thing the 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 coupling of management sort of like project leadership and coaching so typically those those two roles are tied together in a company um, where your manager you're usually responsible to for your work product and your manager in theory is also responsible to you for your personal development and growth and sometimes you find people that are good at doing both of those things but not always um, and oftentimes I think it's helpful to to break out the coach role because the coach should really be responsible to the individual for their for their growth and that's a that's a slightly different uh, slightly different relationship tell me more about the kind of portfolio of companies you were I mean I'm particularly interested in Gimlet Media because Alex Bloomberg his voice is particularly um, graces my ears <laughs> fairly often and you did a design sprint with with Gimlet but um, you've got uh, Slack on there you've got um, Gusto there's all sorts of interesting companies so through running these design sprints and working or just working with these portfolio companies switching all the time was there anything that you kind of saw, obviously all fairly fast growing teams as well, um, that you saw worked particularly well? Was there a company that you think was nailing it at that stage? I mean, every every company has their own challenges. And um, the design sprint process, the first thing we did was try to pull out what some of their largest challenges were at the company so that we could work on them. Um, I, I mean, my huge takeaway from that was that uh, I was... I was really fortunate to learn a lot about different areas of business from um, health sciences research on like uh, c cancer screening all the way down to like coupons on the internet, you know, like, and just everywhere in between. Uh, and uh, what we found was that the, the design process of um, identifying large problems, you know, doing the double diamond approach of, of, of thinking of all the problems, narrowing down, thinking of solutions, narrowing down, and then quickly putting that into, um, into some physical form and testing it with customers, that that worked across a huge variety of disciplines. And people, people didn't always believe us that that was going to be the case. Um, and we didn't always necessarily believe that was going to be the case. But, um, but yeah, it really works. It's, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, when you get good at it, and when you're the people that I suppose pioneered the, the technique, then you can, you can really kind of move fast with making sure that it's uh, you know I, i've run some design sprints uh, i'm sure a lot of the people that listen to this podcast have run design sprints or, or at the very least read the book when you're one step removed from it you kind of do have to interpret and you have to kind of work out um what what was the intention here and how do we adapt that for for our organization so it's really interesting to um to use that and then take parts of it you know, you can pull out crazy eights or something right, totally. and use that in a hundred different ways that are outside the, the design sprint. So it's almost like you've packaged something beautiful up uh, that kind of works together, but also you can dip into it and take one part. It's a pretty cool project to have, have worked on. Moving on from uh, Google Ventures and, and, and your time there, tell me about Range. How did it start? What was the, what was, what was the impetus to leave? Um, and and do this crazy thing. Yeah, well, I decided to leave Google Ventures partly because I had been there a long time, but partly because the questions that 
people were coming to me were really around structuring larger design teams and running, you know, larger scale recruiting processes. Those are the things that, um, which, which is actually a really great sign. When I started at Google Ventures, it was sort of like, we think design is important because Apple, but we don't really know what it is. And so that was, a, that was one type of question we could answer. And then as, as it started to, to grow, then the question was, we know design is important. How do we put it into place? So you worked on that. And now it's, now it's really like, we know how design works in general, but how do we scale it? And that last set of questions, I didn't actually, at Google, didn't manage a, a big team. You know, we had a very small team at, at Google Ventures, and I didn't feel authentically able to answer those questions for, for founders. And, um, and so it was just time for a, a new set of, of people at Google Ventures, um, designers that have that type of experience that could, that could do that well. And so... I, the team there is amazing. I just ran into them yesterday. Um, they're the perfect types of people to answer that question. Um, I started Range because my criteria, um, my criteria for doing a startup was that I had to find people that I just really enjoyed working with that I would learn a ton from. And my two co-founders, Dan and Jen, uh, and then everyone else here, are, totally fits that bill. Uh, and a topic that um, that I could work on for a decade and not feel tired of. So, um, yeah, I. I I think when you found a company, you're you're really in it, and not only are you committed to doing it for the long haul, but you really have to like being inside the heads of your customers. And so, our customers, we we make tools that help teams run better together. And so, our customers are individual contributors, team managers, directors, kind of everyone in a company, and they're people that care about both how the team coordinates and works together, but also about the culture of that team. And those types of forward-thinking managers that, that hold kind of an integrative approach between those, those two, those are totally people that I want to spend time with, I want to understand, I want to help. And I, I see no end to my enthusiasm uh, in that world. And it's just incredibly complex and, 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 um, and challenging. And so there's just tons and tons of stuff that to we can do to make our lives better. To switch out of the kind of um, design, you as a designer uh, mode, Oh, although it's still totally relevant to my next question, but you as a founder and as someone uh, having to kind of switch headspace, I suppose Google Ventures, you're working in the context of early-ish stage companies anyway. So uh, you kind of were used to running quick discovery sessions and like learning fast and iterating, which is which is great. But... Uh, those early days, if you can remember back to the early days of range, trying to nail down that problem, trying to work out who your customer was, all that kind of stuff. How do you remember that? Is that a fond memory? Is that, uh, is that something you would, is there anything that you could kind of pull out as a big learning from that time? Something you do differently now? The, I mean, two years in, we, I, I'm still not sure we have all these answers right. figured out. The, the purpose of a startup early on is to remove as much risk as you can from the business. So you remove product risk and you remove market risk and you, um, you work through all these things. So it, by no means do we have it all figured out. But the, I think my, one of my biggest lessons so far has really been more on the personal side. It's been, um, you know, at some point I had this realization that if, um, that it's, it, it's very hard for me with all of the uncertainty in a startup. So when things don't feel like they're working well, 
when you don't know what to do, when there's no data to tell you what to do, you can feel with all of that coming down on you, you can feel a little, a little lost. And, you know, if I start to feel down and stressed, I realize how much that affects the people around me as well. And that can, that can slow everything down and make everything a lot less fun. And so I had this realization that, that if I, you know, if this, if this company goes for a couple more years um, and it's not successful and I have suffered and you know, gnashed my teeth and like really had a bad time, I, I will not have looked at this chapter. I will not be able to look back on this chapter of my life um, as a success. But also if, if this company is wildly successful and all the way through it, it I, was, I was suffering and you know, making the people around me miserable, I also will not think this chapter of my life is a success. And now that I think about it, all the stuff that you need to do at a startup is, is about sort of finding the right solution and thinking, you know, and it's a creative process. And everything we know about creative processes is it's, it's not necessarily something you can, you can grind out. There's a certain amount of grinding and work that goes into to creativity, but it's not always like you can, you can work 90 hour weeks and then find that perfect solution. Um, so, so for me, like what I try to hold in my head every day is that it's about the journey and it's not about the destination. Um, and as long as we can be focused on the problems at hand, um, excited to come into work every day, treating our customers and each other with with respect and care, uh, that is gonna, it's going to be a good journey no matter where it goes. Yeah, I mean, uh, that resonates me with, with me personally. I enjoy the thread of the chase and, and I would imagine you do too. I think we probably self-selected yeah. for that. But recognizing that there are parts of this journey which uh are unknown unknowns and scary and you have bad days where you go into into the office in the morning and you think I, i'm not sure what actually the best thing for me to do is right now <laughs> uh, yeah totally and the the whole startup thing where they say in the morning you're at the top of the world and by lunch you're in the gutter and then by the end of the day you're at the top of the world again and nothing fundamentally changed i've totally have oh, had that day last week it's kind of remarkable um, how, how true that is. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, I saw a, I think I saw a tweet last week that, that pretty much summed that up. But that switch from being in a position where kind of your day is kind of laid out for you uh, to a certain extent. So, I mean, maybe that was more true of me than you actually, you know, hearing your experiences at GV, you know, going off and doing uh, stuff, different stuff constantly. But moving from that world of certainty to uncertainty is just this crazy crazy journey um and the amount of uh, naivety and hubris that i probably went into my last year with uh you know some of the some of the things that i was saying that i was going to do when i quit my job now i you know think about that and my toes curl how do you deal with the the fact that gv was this you know the, the, this big name and and uh you've moved into this kind of unknown for a long time no one had probably heard of range at all and you were just working on this thing that was quiet uh and kind of dealing with that change in expectation or conversation that you were having with people you know just over a over a beer or a coffee about how work was how do you describe that to people yeah i mean I, one of the things i notice is i i certainly feel less connected to the world of entrepreneurship um having a job where every week you meet people in different companies and that's your job really deeply connects you into the network of entrepreneurship um, in San Francisco and, and the Bay Area and, and, and around the world actually. But 
but yeah, kind of you can kind of disappear into the hole of your startup, and 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 that can be an, uh, a negative thing too. So I've been I've been trying to spend more time going out in the world and reaching out to people and talking to them about the challenges that I'm facing. And every time I do, it's I always walk away um, really grateful I had those conversations. Yeah, it kind of uh, fills you up again for another week, so that you can you can carry on and, and tackle that next strange hairy problem that you're you're trying to solve. Yeah. And, and with a small company, you have, you know, whether it's just one person or whether it's a team of eight or, or whatever, um, you can kind of get stuck in your own way of thinking of things. And so outside perspective is so, so valuable. I know that you still see yourself as a designer uh, in the same way that I kind of see myself as a designer, but a lot of the things I do day to day aren't necessarily design work. I, we've talked about this before. Do you think that uh, back to design careers... I've seen lots of people kind of at a kind of mid to senior designer level look at their options at that point and think, well, I could go into management and there's definitely not enough design managers in the world at the moment. Um, that's definitely a, a, an area where lots of people are hiring and, and it's hard to find good people. Um, so there's always that option. There's, trying to become more senior as a a designer and the kind of I think we're still at this nascent stage where it's unclear what that really looks like um or go off into product or go off and do something different mm-hmm. um I mean that's what I'm seeing from London I'm just interested if it, you know San Francisco is probably generally a, a year or two ahead of London in terms of these trends so from designers that you know and people that have kind of got to okay well I'm I'm you know, 10 or 15 years into my career now, what, what next? Um, what do you think is other typical paths and, and how would you go about thinking about what to do? Yeah, I, I think, I think for design, there's sort of a natural progression in people's career where oftentimes you start out a little mercenary. Like when, when you think about service, cause, cause in my mind, design is a is a craft of service. You're serving someone with your with your craft, and at the start, it might just be your boss. You might be serving money. You're like, you tell me what to do, I'll design it, and I'll get paid, and that's amazing. Um, and then it can kind of shift to serving yourself. So I'm designing, um, and I'm making things that I want to exist in the world. I am making things that the design community thinks are cool and amazing, and you know, this is why we have dribble and all these right, like. I want to look good in in that group. And so so you you sort of shift inward and think about design as a craft that uh of expression. You're serving yourself. And then um, and this is probably where a lot of people end up, I, I think design shifts to serving customers and, and users. So you look out there in the world and you say, um, these people need something and it's my job to advocate for them. I'm gonna no one at this company thinks about the customers. I'm going to talk to them and understand what they need and be their champion within this company. Um, and, and that can create um, a lot of passion and a, and a lot of focus on, on um, delivering good in the world. It can also create some animosity within the company and some kind of aggrandizing of design that's not always healthy. Um, the next phase where I, f- I feel like people end up getting with their career is a place where they really understand that in order to serve the customer, the business has to be sustainable. And, and you take a little bit more of an integrative approach. And you realize that by, by serving the company, 
you can also serve the customer. That you, can, you, know, you, you can't serve the customer unless the business exists. And what that opens you to is that you know, if you're recruiting new designers, if you're doing performance management, if you're managing budgets, like that can be in service to creating good in the world and to serving the customers, even though it doesn't seem so directly tied to it. You're not pushing pixels anymore, but you are still serving the customer in your way. And then I think eventually as you get older, you, you start to even broaden that to think about how you serve a broader community, the world, your country, those types of things. So I, I you know, and then what you also see as people get older is they don't want to work for um, businesses that take from the from the world. They want to work for businesses that create good. Um, and, and that type of value becomes more and more important as people get older. So, so where are people going with their careers? I think it's absolutely normal to move from pushing pixels, you know, and, and getting into the craft, the deep craft of design into, into management or product or any number of other things. As long as you're being creative, you are a designer, period. You know, that in my mind, engineers are designers, like lots and lots of people are designers and create creative people. They make things in service of others. Um, yeah. So, so I, I do see people as they grow in their career, moving into management, moving into product, becoming founders, but I also don't see them as any less of designers. And I think designers that do, that look down on those folks, just, just haven't hit that point in their career where they have a larger view of how how everything fits together. And that's okay. Uh, maybe Dunning-Kruger is unfair, but the, this kind of effect of you kind of don't know what you don't know. And the more you learn, the more um, your eyes are open to new things, new questions. It doesn't get the process of understanding. I would imagine this transcends discipline and isn't just about design, but uh, you start to realize that actually there's this new thing that you care about now that you've kind of nailed that last one. Um, or you, you've kind of got to a point where you understand that, and that's probably the human condition, right? You're looking for, uh, you're looking for new problems, and your careers—the best careers and the most satisfying ones—are hard. Um, if you have an easy career, an easy life, that's it's not going to be satisfying for you. So it's that kind of pursuit of pursuit of new hard problems. It's interesting the tension, I think, that I see around the forced movement into management in order to become more senior. Um, so the, the real tension is actually, I want to stay with my craft and I respect managers. I just don't want to be one, but I feel like at this company, it's the only way to become more senior. I, yeah. I, and I do feel like that's a, that's a shame. It's, I think it's one of the things that Google got right, that, um, they sort of had parallel tracks for craft and, and management that went up quite a ways at some point in order to add value across a very, very big company, you kind of have to be a manager, like at the VP level. It's like, but, um, but still, yeah, I never felt like Google, I never felt like I had to become a manager to increase my um, influence or to, to move forward in my career. And, and the more I, I recognize like what, what, um, what makes a good design team. Um, and there's lots of things like <laughs> what makes a good team can be a several hour long interesting discussion but in particular the design skills portion of it right you typically need skills in different areas right so you need some copywriting and some interaction design and some visual design and blah 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 um, and you need bandwidth in all those areas right so 
we have to do 10 user research sessions next week, next week. So we need at least this many user researchers to do that. So you've got skill coverage, you've got bandwidth, and then you also have skill depth, which is really, really important. There's just something that, you know, interaction design is, is my jam. And, you know, you could put like four junior interaction designers in a room and like for a month, they probably couldn't solve something that an expert interaction designer could solve in an afternoon. It's just, it's just how it is. And that's true across like engineering, you know, engineering architects uh, to all sorts of other disciplines. There's just something that comes with the, the real depth of knowledge in an area that makes those problems tractable and solvable. And so as you think about creating a, a bench of people on your team to be able to do the work that needs to be done to serve your customers, some of that is skill depth. And unless your performance system, unless your like performance management system recognizes that and lets people grow in their career in that area, you you may just not have those those types of skills, which means that some problems are going to be out of your grasp. It's interesting when you can't see what you don't know. So if if you're you find yourself in a position where you're leading a team and you may not have experience of running user research, or you may not have experience of um, working with content writers or working with um, really experienced interaction designers, hard to work out, A, what that looks like, who you should hire, whether the person sitting in front of you in the interview is, is actually able to do the thing that they're saying they can. Um, so kind of buying, buying design in that sense becomes really hard. And that limits, you know, the, the whole Zuckerberg, um, I hired people better than me type thing. I'm not sure if that's true of him, but I'm sure there are lots of people who find it hard to hire people uh, better than them for whatever reason. Either they can't see what's better than them or, or are you know, uh, bound by uh, a, an ego that, that doesn't allow them to um, secede control, <laughs> whatever that is. I mean, back to your other point about um, about life and how the challenges we face are difficult in the moment, but looking back on them, it can lead to a more satisfying life. I, I think this is exactly an analog to that, that it can be a little scary to hire someone who's better than you at a bunch of things, but looking back on it once they're on your team, it's super great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just takes takes all that weight off, right? Yeah, yeah. Listen, we've gone full circle. I think that that's a, a great place to to finish up. Brayden, is there, where do we find you? Where do we find Range? Yeah, you can learn more about Range at range.co and you can find me at, at kowitz.co, K-O-W-I-T-Z.co. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you.